just that time. It's a super Sunday night here on Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. 989 FM, 1340 AM, LVSportsNetwork.com. All the places you can listen to us live. And if you happen to miss the show, podcasting everywhere, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're all on all those format or platforms as well. And we welcome you into a super Sunday night, two-hour edition of Heat Wave Sports as we take you into the new work week. Tim Unglesby, Ryan with you, and Tom Barton sitting this one out. So taking his place, the very capable Las Vegas radio personality. You know him, you love him, Mr. Chris Wynn. Chris, always a pleasure to have you back on Heat Wave Sports. Always great to join you, Tim. And of course, uh, this is a outstanding time of the year, isn't it, my friend, as the calendar turns to the third month of the year and what's that mean it means march madness of course and uh it's not just college basketball right i mean we were in a weekend with the big league weekend here in las vegas where you had a chance to see major league baseball as the uh, cincinnati reds and the oakland well it's supposed to be major league baseball right Tim, <laughs> yeah. with the uh, oakland a's of the cincinnati reds here in town and got a chance to check that out of course the uh nhl always floating around and we as, as we roll down through the season towards the Stanley Cup playoffs and of course the uh you know no shortage of stories and storylines across the NBA and beyond but uh they call it March Madness for a reason it's because we get a chance to see some of the best college basketball teams in the country get set for their conference tournaments and then of course beyond into the postseason tournaments so all kinds of action going down and uh, didn't even mention the fact that there was a NASCAR race here in Vegas this weekend, and uh, also a big time UFC fight. So it just it, it just it gets better and better. It seems like Mr. Oglesby every weekend when we're talking about Las Vegas and the sports world as a whole across the board. No doubt about that, as they say, Chris Wynn. And before we jump into the show, let's let's get this out of the way. We are a very interactive show. If you still use a phone, 876-1340. Most of us try not to be on the phone, but that's okay because you can hit us up over on Twitter at HW Sports. So you said it, man. Let's let's start with this then. You brought it up. I want to tag on it a little bit because I think it's important. And we've always, on this show, Chris, since you've been doing it with us for years now, we've always talked about the growth of the city. And really, in one weekend, you said it, man. It's impactful of all the different major league sports that were represented in Las Vegas, from Major League Baseball to NASCAR to NHL hockey, NCAA basketball. We have tournaments. We got what five tournaments happening here in the next week and a half. So it just continues to grow. the The rumors are that baseball looks like it's almost a sure thing, as far as everything I'm hearing. So. It's full steam ahead for Las Vegas, and oh, I forgot, there was a big UFC card as well, so it's everything happening in this town, and it's not just this weekend. It seems like, Chris, damn near every weekend, there's at least something being represented by one of the major, major sports leagues. Oh, no question about it, and it really is highlighted, right, Tim, by the plethora of college basketball tournaments that are hosted here in Las Vegas. Look, this is a big country, right, Tim? You and Mm -hmm. I, we come from different parts of this country. There's a plenty of cities that can host, you know, a, a postseason tournaments when it comes to conferences. And look, there are other cities that do. Obviously, you've got, uh, you know, the Big Ten tournament, you know, in the Midwest. You've got the ACC tournament. You've got some of the major tournaments around the country in other cities. But just the fact that you have 
literally five conferences from the WAC to the Big West to the Mountain West to the Pac-12 and beyond here in Las Vegas is rather extraordinary. And to be honest with you, for you and I, guys, members of the media here in Las Vegas, if you try to actually cover all of these conferences, you just can't do it. I mean, there's just not enough days in, you know, in this next week where you could actually go about doing it. It's, it's, it's a very difficult uh, kind of juggling act that, I, that myself and, and you, if you, if you, if you want to get involved with these, to go check it out, man, it's going to be crazy. You know, from, from Wednesday, you've got a lot of the opening, opening acts of these tournaments going on Wednesday. And then you've got a lot of them simultaneously going on with respect to the semifinals and the quarterfinals through Thursday, Friday, and then, of course, Saturday, where you've got the championship games for all these conferences. So it's kind of a pick-and-choose type of thing. And if you're, if you're going to try to actually cover what's going on, and again, we haven't even talked about, I mean, it's, I guess, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights being out of town, if you cover the NHL here in town, that's a good thing because you don't have to worry about that since they're playing down in Florida and then in Carolina for the next week and a half. But, I mean, that being said, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy everything that's going down. And, yes, you pointed out the strong possibility that the A's could be moving here to Las Vegas. And, the, you know, I don't – people up there in Oakland must be furious with us, Tim, with, the, <laughs> with our city. <laughs> given that, uh, hey, what, hey, Tim, when are the Warriors coming to town? That's what I want to know. When are the Warriors <laughs> heading to Vegas? I haven't. But, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the arena's already here, right? The arena's already here. Extraordinary. Just how much comes this way as far as this city, as it's it's still yet an emerging sports city. It's an emerging metropolitan area when it comes to the country. I mean, it's, we're, right now we're I believe we're you know we're floating down around the thirtieth uh, size market in the country and and around the thirty first size city in the country, but. Obviously, you know, look, we're the hospital, we're the entertainment capital of the world. We have so many options when it comes to conventions and, and hotels and places where we can host people. So it makes a lot of sense here in Vegas to be bringing all these things here. But just to see it coming to fruition, you know, on a day to day basis and, you know, and, and just a, you know, kind of a day to day thing. Look, I, I have a regular job on the Las Vegas Strip that I work in the hospitality industry to go along with, you know, when I make my radio appearances and when I'm hosting shows on the air. And, you know, it's, it's it, at times it can be overwhelming when it comes to actually trying to cover all these events. And uh, I mean, I can even imagine, you know, you know, those that actually have full-time jobs in the media trying to juggle all these options that we have here in this great city of Las Vegas. I have no shame. I'll tell you where I'm going to be. I, you said it. How do you go to them all? You don't. There's no way you can do it. So yeah. I chose Chris. I chose the Mountain West Conference. And I'm going to be out at um, Dollar Loan for the for the Big West. I think those are the two I'm going to sit in. The only two I applied for, I got accepted to both. So I'm going to send my, sit my media ass there and watch some good college basketball. Where are you going to be this week? Yeah, I'll be mostly I'm, – I'm kind of converging along with you, except for the Big West. I'm going to be doing a lot of Mountain West. Obviously, we're here in Las Vegas. We do cover UNLV. UNLV is the college team here, and it is in that conference. So uh, always, you know, all kinds of storylines surrounding the running Rebels and what they could possibly do in the postseason. I mean, look, it's not, you know, completely outrageous to say that UNLV couldn't win the tournament and find find themselves in the big dance. It's a long shot, but it is a possibility. So there are those storylines, and you do have a conference that's intriguing, without question. 
Um, definitely going to be spending some time at the West Coast Conference tournament as well, too. When you have the likes of Gonzaga, which is now essentially a blue blood on the West Coast, and you have a team like St. Mary's, which is which is right now, I believe St. Mary's is a short favorite over Gonzaga to win that conference tournament. Uh, and then you do have teams like San Francisco and Santa Clara and others that are there. It makes that – and it's a great atmosphere there, too, at the Orleans Arena for that tournament as well, too. And then in the WAC, Tim – uh, I happen to be personal friends with the, one of the coaches for Southern Utah, Todd Simon, a fellow Michigander, a fellow Michigan guy. And he's obviously the former interim head coach here at UNLV, has done a solid job with that Southern Utah Thunderbirds basketball team. And they are playing in the WAC tournament coming up this week as well, too. So all kinds of opportunities, I'll put it, for me to catch college basketball this week as, uh, you know, it's it's and it's going to be wall-to-wall coverage when it comes to hoops in town. West Coast Conference over at the Orleans Arena. Looks like we're on a collision course again for Gonzaga and St. Mary's on Tuesday. Uh, so let's go ahead and start in the West, Tom. Uh, Chris, let's start in the West Coast. Kind of look at just some of the teams here in the West. I know we got the tournaments to go through. I get it. But this is our really our last look at what we think of these teams before they go into this craziness of the week. And really, when you look at what happened this weekend, Tom and I last week had a discussion about the four number one seeds and would they be able to hold on to those set spots if they were to be upset in the conference tournament? Well, we see Houston, the number one overall seed right now, I would assume. They survived today, got a buzzer beater shot to to, uh, knock off Memphis, but they sit at one. We are also said Alabama and Kansas were probably going to be your, your other two seeds. So we're looking for a number one seed out of the West. And the debate was, was UCLA going to be there to accept that? Chris, I think the victory over Arizona last night pretty much solidifies a number one seed for them out West, regardless of what happens in the conference tournament this week. Do you agree? I do agree. And so I think the Bruins are going to be that team there that's going to be there with Kansas, Houston, and beyond. But you know what's intriguing, Tim, also, when you think about out west here, it's the teams that are being talked about on the bubble. When you talk about last four in and first four out. And there's a couple teams that 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 come to mind immediately. One of them absolutely, absolutely has something to do with, with the regional coverage here, and that is the Nevada Wolfpack. This is a team that was yeah, had a tremendous season from a from a win standpoint. You're talking about you know well over 20 wins. Steve Alford's done a tremendous job up there. But the loss to UNLV on Saturday in, you know, dramatic fashion in overtime where they essentially just, you know, uh, choked the game away at the free throw line late in that game puts a real strike into the possibility of them being an at-large bid. I mean, they essentially have to go uh, all the way to to the Mountain West final at least. And even then, if they if you lose in the Mountain West championship game, they still have a, a strong possibility that they're not going to be getting in as an at-large bid. So that was big for Nevada over the weekend. Also, a team out west here is Bobby Hurley's Arizona State Sun Devils, right? This is a team that right now, un, under a lot of projections across the board, is 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 projected to be a first four out type of team. They've kind of been Jekyll and Hyde late, especially here down the stretch. And uh, this is a team, obviously, out of the Pac-12, where you you would expect them to absolutely, when the season started, be in the field. And now it's really touch and go with Bobby Hurley and his team. So those two teams are really intriguing to me as far as where they do end up 
and what they do here in Las Vegas over the next three or four days could absolutely be instrumental as to whether or not they are in the field for the big dance coming up uh, in just a matter of days. When you look at the West Coast, and I'm going to say, Chris, from Utah to the left, so we're not including Texas or any of that, anybody that looks at the way that sometimes these conferences are broken up and what they're called. You look at just from Utah to the left, there's just five teams that represent that area of the country in the top 25, San Diego State being one of them out of the Mountain West, two from the West Coast Conference, St. Mary's, Gonzaga, like I said, probably on a collision course to the final Tuesday night at the Orleans, and then two from the pack. It's Arizona and UCLA. It really kind of shows you how down the West Coast is this year. And look, all five will make it to the tournament. We know that. Plus, there'll be other teams, like you said, that they'll squeeze in. Can the Mountain West get two, possibly three? Uh, how many will the Pac-12 get in? You mentioned Arizona State. Could they possibly get five? It's, it's a weak Pac-12 conference. You'll get the two out of the West Coast conference. Uh, the Big West is going to get one. We know that. So it's, it's a watered-down West Coast and really, if I'm thinking long-term, regardless of what happens in the tournaments this week, Chris, if I'm thinking long-term, I only really see either Arizona or UCLA being able to get past a Sweet 16 situation here. I can see you working there, Tim, no question. But there's also some teams that are interesting, to say the least, that are looked in and projected to be at mid-level seeds. I'm talking about six seeds. I'm talking about, you know, even a 10 seed uh, and teams like teams like USC, right? That right now is projected to be a 10 seed in mm -hmm. the Midwest. You've got teams like well, Arizona. Look, Arizona is going to be a tie uh, either. A, they absolutely uh, are sitting right now for a lot of people on the two line could be a three seed, but I'm most likely is going to be a two. And then you got San Diego state, right? San Diego state is the, in, in my opinion, the clear cut favorite and best team in the Mountain West conference. They're projected a six seat right now. Even Boise State, who who could let's be straight up about it, Boise State could win this conference tournament without a doubt if if they if they if they get hot. Uh, right now, Boise State it's projected to be a two team Mountain West field that gets into the NCAA tournament. Right now, Boise State on on a lot of people's projections are projected at a nine seed, which to me it seems outrageous. But but it there there are a lot of credible college basketball people putting the bar, the Broncos on that nine line. So that you go along with other West coast teams like Gonzaga, who's going to be a, probably a three seed. You look at uh, even, even some others that uh, if they end up getting placed in the South, say like a U, say UC Irvine, the Anteaters end up winning uh, their conference. They'll be, they'll be like a 14 seed in, 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 in say the South region or something like that. And, Again, as I mentioned, Nevada, if Nevada gets in, they'll probably be like an 11 or 12 seed in the tournament as well, too. you got St. Mary's. Again, right now, St. Mary's. A lot of people have them a five seed, right? So uh, there, I think while I understand and I understand the point being made that there's kind of a disrespect given across the board when it comes to West Coast teams and the, and the NCAA tournament as a whole, you look at a lot of projections, Tim. The Mountain West might get three teams in. They're, they're saying the Mountain West might get three. A lot of us, when we're doing analysis about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, were absolutely predicting. I think Tommy might have been one of the guys, too, that were talking about the Mountain West have, getting one team in. Like, like basically saying, oh, 
San Diego State's going to win the conference tournament, and they're going to be the only team that gets in in that conference, right? The West Coast Conference is going to get two teams in, you know, St. Mary's and Gonzaga. You know, the the American Conference, two teams in. The, these, these you know, these lower these conferences with just getting three or two, you know. Even, even some people projecting the Pac-12 only getting three teams in, Tim. So, I, well, I think there is some kind of, you know, there is a level of disrespect to the West Coast teams. At the end of the day, the way I think it might shake out when it comes to the field of the NCAA tournament, you may see more of a representation of these teams west of, you know, Kansas, basically, that are getting that are getting some run when it comes to the big dance coming up later on. And Chris and I will break down the Mountain West basketball tournament here in a little bit because what he said is extremely important in that how many teams will the conference be given? A lot of that depends on the matchups we have, the bracket. We'll look at that and we'll give our predictions as well here in a minute. But let's let's kind of look at the landscape then, Chris, since it's conference tournament time. What's going to happen here? How many? It's always for me. It's how many teams can make it out of a conference. So let's start in the ACC, where Miami will be a number one seed in the tournament this week, twenty-four and six overall, fifteen and five on the season. They shared a tie with Virginia there to win the uh, for the conference regular season. But when I look at it as a whole, North Carolina in the finals last year, Chris. 19 and 12 right now they would be a seventh the seventh team out of that conference if they were to be selected i think they're going to go so if they get selected nc state pitt clemson duke virginia miami all have to get picked as well when you look at it that way and if wake forest can pull up an upset or two in the tournament maybe there's an eighth team there so a lot going on in the acc how many can they get in yeah, that's such an open question too because this this is a the conference right where you're seeing some non-traditional teams. Obviously, I'm talking about the Miami Hurricanes sitting atop of this conference, right, with the overall number one seed. And you know, you got uh, essentially Virginia also, which which by the way shared the ACC regular season crown with Miami. And uh, you've got some teams also that again non-traditional basketball powers with Clemson. Right, sitting at twenty-two and nine and fourteen and six in the conference, and uh, you know even teams like Boston College could throw a monkey wrench into things. A team that's essentially around five hundred, and you've got uh, look, Louisville is a team also that is just atrocious this year. <laughs> but you know, uh, but you know, could they beat a team like Boston College in the tournament? So. I, you know, you're asking me point blank as far as what I think, as far as ACC teams in the tournament, it's really tough, right? Because there could be some surprises. And this is the first tournament, this is the first conference we're talking about as far as their postseason tournament, as far as what, you know, what could go down. And, uh, you know, it, 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 this is how proves how close it was at the top when you got basically what a 66 64 win by Miami over UVA back on December 20th in Coral Gables essentially is the tiebreaker, you know, for the top seed in this conference. So that kind of, that gives you an indication of, uh, of what we're dealing with here. Um, and then, you know, on Tuesday, you're going to get some fun games when you get Florida state take on Georgia tech, when you get BC and Louisville and you get Virginia tech taking on Notre Dame, you know, you, you've got some bad teams there, but you also have some teams, Tim, that could throw a monkey wrench into the whole situation with the ACC. Big Ten, a couple, couple schools here that have our hearts in 
my Maryland Terps, bad loss today at Penn State, your Michigan State Spartans on, on a little bit of a mini run here. And I look at this conference, again, as a whole, Purdue obviously will be in the tournament, at the number one seed in the Big Big Ten tournament. They're, they're NCAA bound regardless. I think Illinois is in. I think Indiana did enough to get in. Northwestern on, on the wrong side of a, a streak right now. They've lost, lost three in a row, Chris. I think they're in danger. I think my Terps are in. Can, can your Spartans and, and Mr. Izzo and can Iowa sneak into the field? Can this conference get seven teams? And maybe, maybe if Michigan State does, avoids the first-round upset, Chris, does Tom Izzo get that little push from the committee to put him in? Yeah, I think I, I got to be honest. I think Michigan State has done enough to get in. And look, there we understand there is name recognition. They're not a blue blood, but they're they're a purple blood, and so they're going to be getting, given the benefit of the doubt. But uh, you want to talk about a gauntlet, Tim, with respect to this conference? Obviously, Purdue is a class of the conference. You got, but you've got just a plethora of teams there, from Iowa to Maryland, to Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Mich- you know, Northwestern, Michigan State. Uh, that have in and even Rutgers, at, at, you know, ha, has been pretty solid as well too. There again, this is another conference where you're going to see upsets, Tim Oglesby, when it comes to early on in the Big Ten tournament, and it's going to, you know, severely impact whether or not some of these teams get in. But what have we seen, Tim, over the past five, six, seven, eight, ten years in the Big Ten? It seems like clockwork that they always get six or seven teams in. It just it just seems like it's going to happen. And so that being said, you know, you take a look at those top seven teams, which team is going to get is going to be left home? I think it's going to be Michigan, Tim. I really yeah. do. Michigan is really kind of, you know, soured over a lot of, you know, people that make the decisions and people that watch college basketball when it comes to those top teams in the Big Ted as far as their performance particularly in the last couple of weeks. Uh, has not been top notch at all, and therefore I think that uh, that could be problematic for Juwan Howard and his Wolverines getting in. I think Michigan State gets in. I think Northwestern, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Iowa, and Purdue all get in. But uh, again, this is going to be a fun conference tournament to watch because there's going to be some teams that uh, that knock off one of these squads and maybe does put in peril whether or not the Terrapins get in if they lose to say Nebraska, right? Or a Wisconsin or, or, or heaven forbid to the Buckeyes or to the golden Gophers, right. In, uh, in the conference tournament. So uh, it's going to be intriguing as all get out to say the least, to see which teams actually do get in. And if they do land on the seven line, as far as seven teams in that conference. How about the big 12 led by the Kansas Jayhawks looking for a, this is, this is a real anomaly when you talk about, collegiate sports on the basketball side a back-to-back situation but not only is kansas uh chris the defending champion but the, up until that loss yesterday they probably playing the best basketball in the country right now 25 and 6 heading into the big 12 tournament you got texas there a really good kansas state basketball team this year baylor always up at the top tcu's got 20 wins so that's five for me iowa state oklahoma state on the bubble for, for for me as well it will depend on the tournament this week to see if they can squeeze in another team yeah you'd love to see what the longhorns have been able to do here as of late kansas was a team that was red hot up until obviously the, the most recent loss but this is a team that that can absolutely win a national championship baylor right there as well too 
And you don't even look, look have to look any more further than the, the Big 12 basketball tournament odds for these teams to see where they stand, not just in the Big 12 conference, Tim, but in the national perspective, right, as far as whether or not they should be thought about as a team that can win a national championship. And you've got Texas, you've got Kansas, you've got Baylor, you've got the you know the Wildcats up there in Manhattan, Kansas, with the Kansas State, and you've got T. Yes, you do. You have T.J. Otzelberger's Iowa State Cyclones as well, too. There sitting in Ames, Iowa, at at uh, to win the conference tournament there at plus six fifty. You got Kansas State and Iowa State both plus six fifty to win that conference tournament. You got Baylor at plus four fifty, and then you got Texas and Kansas. Texas at plus three hundred, the favorite to win the Big Ten championship or excuse me, Big 12 championship tournament. And then you've got Kansas at plus 350. So uh, a little bit longer shot at, if you're going to take a look at the Horn Frogs at plus 900, but that's a team also, TCU, a team that can sneak up on people, right, and beat teams that they're not supposed to beat. And then you've got the longer odd teams with uh, Bobby Huggins and his West Virginia Mountaineers at uh, plus 1,500 to win the tournament. And uh, by the way, if any of those teams, whether it's the Cowboys of, of, uh, of OSU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, or West Virginia win that tournament, then you're talking about teams that were expected to get into the big dance are going to get bounced. And uh, look, I guess it happens every year, especially when you're talking about some of these smaller conferences. But uh, I think it would be a big-time surprise if one of those top six teams, probably top five teams, not including TCU, winning the Big 12 championship. That's the voice of Chris Wynn, Tim Munglesby, Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports. Timeout number one. When we come back, we'll look at the SEC Conference, the Pac-12, and then kind of dive into this Mountain West Tournament bracket and get you up to date on the matchups, the times, of course, all of those games we played at the Thomas and Max Center as we get ready for a huge, huge basketball week here in the city of Las Vegas. It's Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. It's just strange. Grown men wearing jerseys with another man's name on it. Like, are you in jail? Are you his bitch? It's just... Right. Kind of like that one? That's different because it's in a frame. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. You tell them, Amy. That's hella different. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the frame jersey, right, Chris? Nothing wrong with that. It's memorabilia, my friend. It's always <laughs> slick, isn't it? Come on now. <laughs> Tim Ogglesby, Chris Wynn with you here on a Super Sunday Night Heat Wave Sports every weekend here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, except for next weekend. We're not on the air, so that's okay. That is okay. Vegas Golden Knights hockey trumps us, and I understand why, but that's okay because we're back at it. Opening weekend of March Madness. So make sure you tune in to Tommy and I. We'll have Chris Wynn call in and, and give his thoughts on the opening round opening round matchups and games of the NCAA tournament. And we're kind of perusing the conferences now, looking at maybe a little uh, preview of the teams that will be taking part of that big, big tournament. And we'll move to the SEC now, Chris, where you, you think this was a, a repeat of the football season in the, in the last 10 years. But right now, the Alabama Crimson Tide sit at 26 and 5, Mr. Wynn, number two in the country, 16 and 2 in the conference, on their way to an appearance in the tournament. Texas AM, I think, is in. I've got to say, Kentucky's in. Missouri, 
Tennessee. Now here comes the fun part. So that is five teams for sure. Now you have Alabama, Vandy sitting kind of there on the bubble. Mississippi State has 20 wins. Arkansas with uh, Eric Musselman, former Reno coach, has 19 wins. Chris, can this conference get eight teams into the big dance? It can absolutely get eight teams in the big dance, Tim. And let me tell you something. Stop the presses, my friend. Are you telling me Tuscaloosa's got top-notch basketball and football? Give me a break. <laughs> Alabama, really? Sitting at 16-1, and one, I, it, just, it just blows my mind Look at uh, to, to see that, you know, obviously on the basketball side. Now we take a look at this conference. Obviously, the Kentucky Wildcats have been, you know, the team that's usually the team to beat. Hasn't been the case this year, right, Tim? As the Crimson Tide had just been absolutely uh, scintillating with that 16-1 and one conference record and, uh, and sitting there at the top. But a team that's kind of – look, as much as you can be under the radar, the Texas A&M Aggies kind of are, right? I mean, they're 14-3 and three in the conference right now, a solid, uh, you know, number – Number two team in that conference, you got Kentucky sitting there with eleven and, with the eleven and six record, along with Tennessee, who took that uh, ticket on the chin there in that loss. Uh, just a matter of a couple, it might have been yesterday actually against Auburn, where this Auburn Tiger team, and that's where we start talking about it, right, Tim? You start talking about a team, you know, the the eight teams that can get in there when you look at the Mississippi State Bulldogs or the Razorbacks as far as their overall record and some of the, you know, some of the teams that they have beaten this season. It's very intriguing to say the least. When you look at Alabama, Texas A&F, Kentucky, Tennessee, who could beat anybody in this conference, by the way, and Tennessee could be a team that could absolutely, in my opinion, go to the final four, much less make the tournament. Uh, they're sitting right now as a number four seed in that conference. And then you got Missouri, of course, 10 and seven, who's been solid. And you've got Jerry Stackhouse, and his Vanderbilt Commodores, who got a monster win just a matter of about a week ago, uh, where Jerry Stackhouse got obviously very emotional after that victory. So you got, you know, both the Commodores and the Tigers at 10 and 7 right there. And it will not be, you know, beyond the pale if, uh, if, if a Tennessee or, you know, Missouri or Kentucky or AM win this conference tournament and Alabama ends up being essentially, you know, probably the best at large number one seed, maybe in, you know, in recent NCAA tournament memory. So it's going to be extremely competitive SEC tournament without question there in Nashville, Tennessee. And a lot of these teams can make a lot of noise. Chris, you said earlier in the show, and we did discuss this during the timeout as well, that you'll be attending the WAC Conference Basketball Tournament over at the Orleans Arena, which begins right after the one that starts there right now ends in the West Coast Conference. But you have the the uh, the friend, I'll call him a friend. You have a friend there that's the, the head coach of Southern Utah. You said it, Todd Simon. Give me, give me a handicap here, though, man. They're going to be the three seed in this tournament uh, beginning this week. Utah Valley State will be the number one seed. Sam Houston, the number two seed. They're on a seven-game winning streak right now, as a matter of fact. And then Southern Utah comes in at 20-11. and 11. 12 and 6 in the conference. It's safe to say that this the conference will get one bid. That's the tournament champion. Can your buddy Todd Simon pull it off here this week in Las Vegas? You can absolutely do it, Tim. And look, it's been referred to as the wild wild whack this season. And it certainly has been this year, right? And it's primarily due to what? 
the nightmare of a season that was the New Mexico State season that has ended, of course, right? And uh, the league's perennial favorite had plenty of off-court issues, you know, started started league play at 0-9. And, uh, you know, the Aggies administration ultimately cut the season short and fired first-year coach Greg Hire down, you know, amid the hazing allegations that went down. So without New Mexico State there, which has won this event, what, eight out of the last 10 years, the tournament's wide open. It really is. And, uh, it, you know, the basics, you've got, uh, you know, you've got all 12 not-suspended teams taking part, of course. And uh, you've got Utah Valley. You've got San Houston State. You've got Southern Utah. And you've got Seattle that are really the prominent teams there, right? And the conference kind of in- instituted this resume point seeding methodology thing this year where they developed a formula kind of in construction with Ken Pomeroy's you know, uh, set up that basically includes non-conference performance. And it's kind of, it's the first of its kind. It's the first, you know, thing that they've done as far as framing a full season performance. So it's going to make it extremely interesting to see how this all plays out. But right now, Sam Houston State's got to be the favorite at, uh, and I believe they are. I think they're plus 120 to be the favorite. Then you've got Utah Valley. I believe, I want to say Mark Madsen is the head coach there, Tim. Am I correct? I think Mark Madsen's the head coach at Utah Valley, the uh, yes. the, the, the supreme dancer uh, on the uh, podium up when the Lakers won the, won the championship. They're, they're sitting at plus 140. Then you got Stephen F. Austin at plus 700. And then you got Todd Simon and his Southern Utah Thunderbirds at plus 800. Grand Canyon, Seattle, Cal Baptist round out uh, the long favorites. And then you get down along with the lines of uh, UT Arlington and Albion Christian and Tarleton State. Uh, just monstrous uh, underdogs as well, too. So uh, no question. I think that uh, they're absolutely a live dog there at plus 800 with the Southern Utah program. Look, Todd Simon, we are familiar with him, obviously, being here at UNLV. He was also the head coach over at Finley Prep here in town. Very familiar with uh, with excellent recruiting ability, without question. In my, uh, He's a guy that, I believe, recruited Pat McCaw here to UNLV and uh, some other prominent names. So he's done a pretty solid job there with Southern Utah, but uh, I think it's still San Houston State has got to be looked at as a favorite in that conference to win it. Let's move over to specifically the Mountain West Conference, Chris, as both the men's and women's tournaments will take place here in Las Vegas, as it always does, over at the Thomas and Mack Center. In fact, Chris Gibby, Give me a recap of tonight, man. You were over at the TNM as the women's action started already. Yeah, I got a chance to go over there and check out some women's games, and there were some uh, some big favorites that uh, that didn't end up covering. You had Boise State, which was a monster favorite over Utah State, and it ended up being a pretty close game. And and to to the uh, Lady Aggies' credit, they actually uh, kept it. They ended up losing by single digits, but uh, yeah, it was a, with a thirteen and a half point spread. They did not uh, uh, get embarrassed, so that was good. And then uh, you had a quality game before that as well, too. So there, there, it is all tipped off already, my friend. And uh, the scene is set, and the climate and the uh, atmosphere is solid down there at the top of some Mac, as you and I have had a chance to cover a number of Mountain West tournaments down there. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens when uh, it comes to the, uh, the, the basketball tournament in the Mountain West. And, uh, yes, there are teams that are expected – to be solid you've got the san diego state aztecs you have the boise state broncos and you have the nevada wolfpack and beyond there's some teams that are expected to win 
Matt Bradley is essentially considered the best player in the conference. He happens to play for the Aztecs. And you've got Boise State, a team that uh, is going to be dangerous. And you have a team like Utah State, also very dangerous. Uh, I had a chance, and Tim, you saw the Utah State-UNLV matchup just a matter of a few days ago, uh, about a week ago, where you know you get the shooting that you get from the guards for the Aggies going. There's no question that Utah State can be a team that can knock off a San Diego State or a Boise State in the tournament. So it's going to be March Madness, no question. And so you're going to have uh, some teams that are probably going to be on the ropes. And the Mountain West is going to be no different. And we'll see if uh, if these teams like the Aztecs and like the Aggies and like the Broncos and even the Wolfpack can hold serve when it comes to those seeds, given that uh, they're going to have to go up against the likes of uh, teams like UNLV and uh, and others that uh, might try to uh, try to switch things up a little bit. Let's take a look at the Mountain West Conference bracket as we start games Wednesday in the men's side. Three matchups on Wednesday. Number eight, number nine, Colorado State Fresno. Number six and the number 11, Richard Patino and New Mexico take on Wyoming. And then number 10, Air Force. Number seven, UNLV. And Chris these two teams just battled back on February the 24th, and you'll be very, very lucky. They get a late bucket to push them over uh, in that game and get the win at home. But it was not an impressive effort for the Rebels. In fact, even the matchup on Saturday with Reno, not impressive, as you called it right at the beginning of the show, Reno gave, gave this game away. So I'm not considering UNLV a hot team coming into the tournament. This first game against Air Force, because this is not going to be an easy one. Yeah, for UNLV in this matchup against Air Force, they have to be feeling pretty good, right? Coming off that victory against your, you know, arch rival in state, where you're able to go up there and beat a team that was better than you. I mean, look, make no mistake about it, Mr. Oglesby. Nevada is better than UNLV this year overall as a basketball team. But essentially, again, like I pointed out, the, the Wolfpack choked that game away late. They had an eight-point lead. I want to say eight or nine-point lead with maybe a minute and a half left in the game and had a chance to even get it out to more from the free throw line and weren't able to do it. And UNLV, to their credit, hit some big shots down the stretch. And then going into overtime, you don't have E.J. Harkless, your big-time offensive guy, right, in overtime, and yet you still find a way with, with, with Johnson, the third, and with Justin Webster and a couple other guys making shots in overtime, some big-time threes and some shots. UNLV is able to get the win. So they got to feel good going into the Mountain West Tournament. That being said, it's another one of those games, Tim Ugglesby, another one of those Wednesday afternoon games for UNLV, which there's going to be hardly any fans there. I'm sorry, but I'm just, you know, I'm just spitting facts right now. It's not going to be a monster crowd at the Thomas and Mac to support UNLV at 1.30 in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be probably even worse for the for the game with Colorado State and Fresno State at 11 a.m. But uh, you got those three matchups there on Wednesday to tip the tournament off on the men's side. Of course, you've got uh, New Mexico taking on Wyoming in the later in the in the later game, which uh, will feature obviously Jamal Mashburn Jr. on that team. New Mexico is a team that that could absolutely, I think, you know, uh, knock off some of these top teams in this conference as the uh, as the tournament moves on. But 
if it's anything like that last game, Tim, as you pointed out, where it was 54-53, and it was just baskets were hard to come by, my friend, and it was just a knockdown, drag-out fight, then it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough sled for the runner Rebels to get by. But I do think they fight away. I think they end up, you know, I think they've been able to kind of unlock some things offensively in that game against Nevada over the weekend, and I think they can kind of they can build on it. It's a test for Kevin Kruger and his staff to get them ready. And, uh, look, people are already – look, you know the deal, right, Tim? People are already chirping regarding Kevin Kruger, whether or not he deserves another year, whether he's in a position where he'll get the other – an extra year. You know, if there's some – in some way, shape, or form, if they are not victorious in this game against, against Air Force – I, I could see a scenario that transpires in which Eric Harper, you know, the uh, you know the AD at UNLV decides to move on, given that Kevin Kruger was not his guy. So this is a big time game for UNLV and get it to to get to get out of this first round and get a chance to get in that matchup with Boise State on Thursday, which would be you know which would be the uh, essentially playing a playing game on Wednesday. So. It's going to be a lot of fun to see that game against uh, against Air Force. And uh, I'll be there for all three games on Wednesday. I'll get a chance to catch uh, s- some of the Rams and, uh, and, and the, uh, the Bulldogs in the, in the early tilt, Tim. Do a little, do a little breakfast before some uh, Mountain Wet Soups on Wednesday. And then, of course, you got UNLV, New Mexico, Air Force, and then the New Mexico-Wyoming game to cap it off there on a Wednesday. Yeah, Rebel fans listening in, let's let's be real. And I know everybody listening, Chris says Tim's so negative on UNLV. I am negative on them because yeah, I grew up are. in a different era. I grew up in a yeah, thank you. You've got a reason a, to be, right, sir? You have absolutely, absolutely. I grew up in a different era, and I'm not yeah. even going to go back that far. We can go back as far as Long Kruger when we were all here, Chris, and how they didn't bother to keep a guy that presented them the, the best shot they had since Arcanian of consistently performing in an NCAA tournament. So that's all on past UNLV administrations, but it continues today. So let's be real about what's going to happen this week. You know, for all you fans in parentheses, all you idiots out there that talked about when this team was 10 and 0, how they were a sweet 16 team of the ridiculousness that comes out of your mouths that you can type as well, because you're not brave enough to call on the show and tell it like it is your 10 and 0 start that, that was then sidetracked with a one in seven mountain West tournament start. There you go. That's your team. A team that needed a, a bouncing buzzer beater to beat Air Force, essentially, that needed a team down the stretch. And this was the big talk this week was how they swept Reno. It was the big deal. Let's be real. Let's 100% be real. If you beat Air Force on Wednesday, your reward is, as you said, Chris, the Broncos of Boise State. If you find a way to win that one, your reward's probably going to be Utah State. And if you find a way to win that one, your reward's going to be San Diego State. You're not running that gauntlet. There's no way that's happening. And if I'm wrong, Chris, 100%, I'll open my show up with I was 100% wrong. But I'm not going to be, and I know you agree with me. They are not running that gauntlet to win the Mountain West tournament. I think you're going to be okay, Tim, as far as some (laughs) of those expectations when it comes to the Mountain West tournament. And taking a look at that, right, taking a look at kind of the scenario that sets up. I know we talked a lot about the first, you know, the first three, you know, kind of play-in games. You've got San Diego State sitting there on Thursday, right, getting a chance to face – Colorado State or Fresno State, a lot of people kind of look at that, right, as the Aztecs, Aztecs almost getting a bye into the semifinals, right, where you, you have an opportunity 
to either play Nevada and San, and San Jose State, who are already set to match up on that Thursday afternoon game. That's going to be a lot of fun, right? Tim Miles has done a pretty solid job there with that San Jose State program. We saw what Tim Miles did at Nebraska, at essentially a football school, making Nebraska at least a team to pay attention to and a program to pay attention to in the Big Ten when he was there. He's done pretty much the same thing at San Jose State. This is a program that was, you know, you talked about as one of the worst programs in the Mountain West, and he's done a pretty solid job as that Spartans team comes into the Mountain West tournament as a number five seed. So you got a fun matchup there against Nevada on that Thursday tilt, and the winner of that, as you pointed out, will most likely face the Aztecs. Now, if you get uh, UNLV moving on past Air Force, then you do have the matchup against Boise State. And I think it's tough sledding for the runner Rebels in that matchup against the Broncos, given you know what the Broncos bring to the table, especially from an offensive standpoint in that type of matchup. And then, of course, the other matchup, you got Utah State, the Aggies, a team that I've already talked about how I think could be a sleeper and could absolutely you know, win this tournament, which would uh, kind of shake things up a little bit. The first time they would win, I believe, since, what, Sam Merrill about a couple of years ago. Uh, Sam Merrill, who's now toiling in the NBA and getting some minutes. So Utah State is uh, facing the New Mexico-Wyoming winner. And uh, it could get interesting there, too. If you if you get a New Mexico, say, that gets in that matchup against the Aggies and, and causes some trouble. So uh, it does it does set up a lot of uh, uh, fun storylines. Let's put it that way for the Thursday matchups in the Mountain West, if uh, you do end up getting some of the upsets. Well, let's look at it this way, Chris. What needs to happen here for this Mountain West to get, let's say, three? San Diego State's in regardless of what happens this week. So really, you're looking at Boise State, Utah State, Nevada, I would think, are the three battling for possibly one or or one or possibly two spots. What needs to happen here? Nevada... I think for Nevada to go to the tournament, they got to knock off San Diego State in the semifinals. And I think Boise needs to make the finals at least to get that second push in. Utah State's probably going to have to, again, win the tournament. Yeah, although I could see a situation, right, where Boise State wins in that Thursday game, loses to Utah State, right? Mm-hmm. And San Diego State beats everybody and and. and that, that scenario doesn't present itself as far as Nevada. I could see Nevada being out, right? And Utah State getting to say, you know, Utah State getting to the final. And maybe they could get an, an at-large bid in which they're like an 11th or a 12th seed. I could possibly see that happening as well, too. So I could see a Utah State kind of withering their way. If, if But they but they, Utah State has to get to the final, right? They have to get to the final. Uh, and also, it at Boise State. Now, look. Obviously, Boise State would have to lose to Utah State, and Boise State would still have to get in for them to get three teams in. And I think that could, they could actually happen as well, too, right? I think Boise could lose in the semifinals, and them along with San Diego State and Utah State could get in. But I could also see Boise State, Nevada, and San Diego State all get in. But you could also see this, right? You could also see San Diego State, if they lose Thursday, San Diego State might not get in, right? I mean, there's there's that scenario too. So there's there's all kinds of like uh, in, intriguing breakdowns or, you know, uh, I guess doomsday is the word I might use, but uh, scenarios or really good scenarios for the Mountain West 
in which they could end up getting three teams in or, at, you know, worst case scenario, getting one team, you know, with uh, if, if things if the, if the chips may fall that way. So most likely it's probably going to be two teams. You know, I think it's going to be two teams and I think they're two teams are going to be Boise State and San Diego State or uh, Utah State and San Diego State. I think those are the two. I think to me, those are the most likely scenarios of how it plays out. Chris, let's look at the women's side real quick as we close up our number one for the second consecutive year. The Lady Rebels enter the Mountain West Championship Tournament as the top seed as they went undefeated in league play this year, 18-0. and They're 28-2, ranked 22nd in the country. That will probably go up tomorrow when the rankings come out. And they begin their road to a second consecutive NCAA tournament. Tomorrow at noon over at the Thomas and Mack Center as they take on the Nevada Wolfpack. So another state rivalry matchup here. Eight versus one. I know that, that they probably the way that this is seeded out, they have the matchups already in place. But really, you're going to have the number one seed and the home team. Technically, the home team, Chris, I know they're, they're not. But the top a 20, a top 20 team in the country playing at a noon time on a Monday. Come on, man. Yeah, not exactly indicative or uh, ideal when it comes to exposure, right, for for this conference. But uh, look, for the second second of the year, you've got UNLV, either the Lady the Lady Rebels, and her Mountain West Championship as the top seed after becoming the first team in the conference, right, to finish the regular season with an undefeated league record since the Colorado State Lady Rams did it back in 2015-16. Uh, so. They're going to look to defend their tournament title from last year. They've earned a bye into those quarterfinals. And they entered the conference championship essentially with their their highest rank, national ranking since 1993. Tim, you and I were much younger bucks back then when they were number 22 in the AP Top 25 and number 25 in the USA Coaches Poll. So uh, you do like the Wyoming Lady Cowboys as well, too. The Lady Pokes under uh, their first year head coach, Heather Azell, you know, they're going to be the number two seed after they were 13-5 and five during the regular season. And, uh, you know, the number three seeds go to Colorado State and New Mexico, respectively. So, look, I, as much as I want to say that 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 the Lady Pokes or, you know, the Lady Aztecs or, or the Lo- Lady Lobos or the Rams are there, I just don't think they are. I just don't. I think that UNLV is the team to beat without question. And you're, you're going to have, a, you know, there's I don't see any scenario whatsoever in which you see Colorado State or uh, or even like a San Diego State if they end up playing the second, you know, in the second game of the tournament against UNLV pulling out a victory. So I think it's going to be tough sledding for all these other teams in this conference, given what they've been able to do, even though you do have to give credit where credit is due when it comes to Wyoming as being kind of the second fiddle on the women's side of things in the Mountain West, it's still Lindy LaRock and, and her team's, you know, a tournament to lose, in my opinion. That's the voice of Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports. And we're closing up our number one. On the other side of the timeout in hour two, we're going to talk some football, NFL news and notes as the franchise tag deadline gets closer and closer. I'll talk to Chris about the Lamar Jackson situation. Former Raider quarterback, Mr. Carr, where is he going to end up as the the rumor mill beginning to churn a little bit more on where his next destination will be? Same with Aaron Rodgers as well. And when we do come back right away, I'm going to – quick segment again. 
on the XFL as last week, Chris, I was bombarded privately about me just ridiculing the XFL, give it a chance. Well, I gave it another chance. You don't want to want to have, you do not want to hear what I have to say on the other side of the break, but you're going to, and it's not good news, Vegas Vipers. All that and more in Hour 2 of Heatwave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, Hour 2 of Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, Tim Munglesby, Mr. Chris Wynn with you tonight as Tommy Barton celebrating his Wedding anniversary deserved. Nice weekend. And well, he'll be off next weekend, too. So he's getting a little time off here. Tommy, enjoy Florida. And Chris and I will hold the fort down here. We're going to move into some football. And, you know, you know, Chris, here's the thing. Um, I, I appreciate everybody reaching out with, with the direct personal messages this week, thinking I was a little too hard on the XFL. And maybe... I wasn't hard on the, here's the thing. You, you pick and choose what you want to hear. I, I get that. I wasn't hard on the league. In fact, you know, entering into week three, I thought the product was getting better. I thought that some of the innovative things that they were doing that I, I really like, I think that's great for the game. Whatever you can use, the NFL stole from the original XFL. We know that. That's great. You know, it's nothing about the product itself. My biggest complaint was locally how the Vegas Vipers uh, we're going to withstand what I felt was poor marketing above anything else. And in fact, if you watch the game this week on Saturday over at Cashman, that was a hell of a football game. Josh Gordon gets a touchdown late. They win the game. Seattle wins the game. Vegas drops to 0-3. and three. It was a good football game, though. There was points in this one. I think we've seen... Uh, just the level of play of the XFL as a whole through three weeks has gone up every week. And that's a good thing if you're a struggling league to, to try to gain some traction. I thought that was great. My problem with Vegas is, Mr. Wynn, was coming into the season, nobody talked about it. That's a big problem. After week one on the road, we were looking at week two coming in. They're going to have a big crowd at Cashman Field, right? Well, the weather didn't cooperate. So if you want to use that as an excuse, the weather didn't cooperate, the Announced attendance of 6,000, which it was not. We know that. That's fine. So week three, weather's good. You, you got that out of your, your – uh, you got the, the funkiness out of the way, right? You have a team coming in with some NFL star – or ex-NFL stars on it. Again, no promotion by the team. That That's not good. But here's what's even worse, Chris. They announced the attendance over 6,000 again. Stop lying. Please stop lying. There was not 6,000 people at Cashman Field to watch that game. Please stop lying. I don't know what's going to happen here, Chris. They just did a terrible job from day one promoting this football club. I don't know if they'll be back next year, to tell you the truth, because you cannot say it's the league as a whole. Next week, St. Louis, the Battlehawks, open their home season. They have, they're looking at possibly 30,000 people for that game, Chris. Washington, D.C., Uptick this week in attendance. Dallas, uptick in attendance. Houston, uptick in attendance. It's not the league. It's the people running the teams. Vegas, you failed here in week number two. I don't know what else to say, man. I'm not being hard on them, Chris. I'm telling the truth. So, Tim, I agree with a lot of the sentiment you just expressed there, and I want to add a couple of things. There's a general disconnect 
right, between what's going and transpiring on the field, right, in the XFL as far as the play, right? You got you got last-minute touchdowns. You got breakout stars. You got guys who are trying to get back in the NFL that were former NFL stars that are playing in this league, right? You've got situations like that game here in Vegas where, you know, Ben DiNucci finds Josh Gordon for that 65-yard touchdown to kind of cap the comeback win for Seattle. All the games when it comes to on the field for Vegas have been exciting. Now, look, they've been losses. They're 0-3. I get it. You know, when you lose to the D.C. defenders last week and then you lose to Arlington in that exciting game you know, to open the season. So they are 0-3, but there is a lot of merit to what you talked about as far as the engagement with Vegas, right? And the local fans and the fan base here. And I think a big part of that, Tim, I got to say, a big part of that problem is that the league is not even based in the cities in which they play, right? you got all the teams essentially playing down in Texas, right? I believe in Arlington or around, uh, around Austin. Somewhere down in Texas is where the base is. So you don't have these players of the communities all throughout the week. You don't have them even living in Vegas, you know, or in Washington, D.C., or Orlando, or Seattle, or these cities. They are all based down there. So that that uh, separation, I think, causes a problem when you have a fledgling league, which is a restart of, of the league that used to be the XFL back in the early 2000s where I had a chance to cover the first ever Orlando Rage Las Vegas Outlaws game at the Citrus Bowl down there. And uh, it was, you know, it was crazy and it was wild and he had, he hate me and all the stuff going on, but it was, it was a brand new thing. And now it's a new version. Obviously you've got Dwayne, the rock Johnson and, uh, and, uh, and his ex-wife who's a, who's a tremendous businesswoman in her own right. Uh, Danny Garcia, who is, is actually, you know, who's is spearheading it. And from a female standpoint, trying to, you know, put her stamp as far as the league and, and, and get a female fan base going. But that, but that, but that problem is a major problem, Tim, when it comes to exposure of the league and getting each individual market engaged. If you got all these teams practicing in one town down in Texas, and then all of a sudden just, just, you know, floating out to their cities, for these games, it, it, it doesn't create the fandom that you need to. And it's especially problematic in a city like Las Vegas for the number of reasons that you and I just talked about at the top of the show, that there is an absolute flooding of sports action and events and things that go on here that you're already behind the eight ball if you're, or if you're the Vegas Vipers when it comes to you know, at the, the, the totem pole that is sports here in Vegas. You're already in a tough spot. So to, to add on to it that you don't even have your players here engaged in the community or, or, or rolling around town, you know, during the week before game. Look, I, look, we get it. It's, it's, it's a football league. They're professionals. They need to be practicing and handling their business. But they also need to be in the cities, right, engaged in the cities, you know, and interacting with the fans and being there. And that is a big deal. And especially, it's especially a big deal, not for the NFL, which is an established brand that is a monster, but for a, for a league like the XFL, where you have, you know, it's a startup essentially, and you're just trying to get your foothold in the community. And it is extremely problematic that they do not have the athletes, the teams, 
the coaches all here on a regular basis to be involved in what is the day-to-day activity that is living in Las Vegas. Let me present this side of it, though, because I think, look, I'm not a marketing major, okay? But I've learned enough over, over the years in sports and, and seeing these teams out here um, fail, right? You you have as well across the country, wherever you're in Orlando and other big grave graveyard of former former professional teams but so when i state that they claim 6000 fans were in attendance for weeks 2 and 3 which is a lie there's no doubt about that is a lie the place only holds 10000 chris so it's not like st louis is playing in the dome it's not like uh, some some of the other teams at dc plays in the, in that big stadium only seats 10,000. Are you telling me? And I get it. I get it what you're saying with all these other things going on in town. Mm-hmm. But you know what? For the ticket price to go to an XFL football game, are you telling me that they couldn't do some type of situation where you can get kids out there, peewee teams out there, two for one, something to fill that place up and, and give it a little credibility and give it, give it a little bit of a notice so that people want to come back to it? I blame that on the front office. I blame that on the marketing team. I blame that on people in public relations. That's what I'm blaming. So I'm not buying it. I, I just think they failed at that portion of the job. And I, you know what? I'm sorry if you work in that, in those fields with this team, but you failed. There's no way around it. You're not going to convince me that you can't get a legit. I'm, and I say a legit, Chris, 6,000. Let's say yeah. a legit six to 7,500 legit. You're telling me you couldn't get that out there for that? They did it with baseball. They did it with a minor league baseball team a lot of the times. So I don't believe that. I just think they, it was just poor. It was poorly ran from the from day one. Yeah, and Tom Barton just texted say what six thousand essentially between the two games here in Las Vegas in real numbers, right? As far as yeah. real attendance that's taking place. Look, the comments you made, Tim. I'm not going to sit back and try to make excuses, right, for the marketing team that is the Vegas Vipers or what it is they do that look there is absolutely challenges that they face no question about it it is it, it's absolutely about trying to find a niche right when it comes to this market here in Las Vegas and when it comes to breaking through with the likes of the you know the Vegas Golden Knights and the Raiders and UNLV Sports and the lacrosse team and you know the soccer team and the possibility of getting an MLS team and all this all and, and all the other entertainment by the way that goes on the entertainment dollar in Vegas is spread thin as it is you know now now you're throwing in another another team that's not even the NFL right i mean you're you're not talking and look mike mike davis a good friend of mine he's the head coach with the Vegas Nighthawks right the indoor team essentially the arena league team right in Las Vegas out in Henderson and that's a challenge as well, too, right? Because it's, look, it's in it's arena league football, so it's indoor. A little bit different than the XFL and the NFL. But the point being is that it's about finding that niche. And you got to have people that are in place from your marketing department and from your communication staff and everybody that are, that know what, exactly how to approach it, the problem and solve the problem, right? And it appears that that's not the case with the Vegas Vipers. And look, again, we're, we're three games into the season. I get it. But it doesn't look like there's anything over the horizon, right? There doesn't look like there's, you know, some uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in which you're going to see an influx of Las Vegans rolling out to Cashman Field 
on a weekend, you know, or a Friday night or whenever they, you know, the next Vipers game is and just start slamming attendance there. You just don't see it. So I, I think it's a problem. I think that there, I mean, I guess you could, you could kind of make excuses for it, for not being able to, to make a difference. But at the end of the day, the rubber's got to meet the road, right? Someone's got to make some decisions and someone's got to figure out ways. You brought up a couple very, a, a couple solid ones, right? As far as getting the youngsters in the community involved, as far as football teams getting out there at a, at a reduced price or a reasonable price or, or just finding a way, right, Tim, to get that niche filled in which, you know, actual more Las Vegas fans go out to see this Vegas Vipers football team. Get it together, Vegas. Get it together or else there will not be a Vegas Vipers team here. In the foreseeable future, let's move to the NFL, Chris, where the big, the big career defining sometimes decisions that these GMs have to make in the offseason. Well, the first step will be March 7th, which will be on a uh, Tuesday as the deadline you utilize a tag in the National Football League comes about. We expect here locally that the Raiders will use their franchise tag on running back Josh Jacobs, just 25 years of age, 1,600 yards rushing last year. Breakthrough season for Josh Jacobs, Chris. This coming off the heels of the Raiders before the season started, choosing not to utilize that fifth-year extension. Well, now it's going to cost you, Las Vegas. He's going to make at least $10 million, Chris, with the franchise tag. Double what he made last season. All could have been avoided if they would have extended him the extra year, but I guess, so. you know what? They made him play for it, and he 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 got it, Chris. He he earned that extension money or that tag money. So it looks like the Vegas Raiders will tag Josh Jacobs on Tuesday, Chris. Yeah, Jacobs picked a, a great time, right, Tim Hugglesby, to, to have a career season after uh, after Dave Ziegler and uh, and Josh McDaniels chose not to pick up his fifth year option before last season. So you know, all he did was what lead the league in, in the NFL with sixteen hundred and fifty plus yards rushing, uh, essentially joining Marcus Allen back in 85 and, and Clem Daniels back in 63 as the only players in the franchise history to win the league rushing title. So uh, he also led the NFL with, you know, over 2,000 all-purpose yards. So no question that the guy's a big-time talent and he should be in the mix, right, when you're talking about the Raiders as far as as far as far keep their long-term plans. And, uh, you know, planning to use that franchise tag on him, you know, for running backs in the 2023 season is going to cost what? Uh, just over $10 million for that. So the deadlines for teams to use the tag is going to be coming up uh, on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. So uh, players then, if they're on the tag, they'll have until, what, mid-July to reach a long-term deal. So I think I believe it was NFL Network that was the first to report that uh, the Raiders plan to use the tag on Jacobs. So uh, Raiders, obviously, Tim, it, it is fascinating to me, Tim, i got to say, because – I turn on ESPN Sports Center now, right? As far as uh, you know, the national show, and the, and there is a lot of times, Tim. I'm going to tell you that the Las Vegas Raiders are at the top of the blocks when it in, te, in television we call it blocks, right? When it comes to the A block, B block, C block, and I've, I'm telling you, Tim, a lot of times I've turned on Sports Center, and it's either been about Josh Jacobs or about the next guy we're about to talk about, as far as what his destination could be and what his prospects are when it comes to the Raiders and uh, whether or not he actually lands in Vegas long-term or if they end up getting shipped somewhere else. Who are you referring to, Mr. Wynn? 
I would be referring to a quarterback by the name of Derek Carr, right? Who has been <laughs> a fixture for this Raiders franchise for a long time since he came out of Fresno State. Of course, last year, everyone had the expectations, right, Tim? That uh, with him at the helm and, of course, with his college running mate uh, as a wide receiver and a big-time acquisition for the Raiders here in Vegas, that uh, the offense was going to take a step forward and this team was going to be a contender when it came to the playoffs. It did not shake out that way, Tim, as you saw. And now, what's the question? The question is, where will he end up? And so, Tim, I'm at the Vegas Golden Knights game tonight. And as you can imagine, and you and Tommy have talked about this at length over the past, what, three, four, five, six, eight weeks Regard, and once everybody pretty much knew that Derek Carr was no longer going to be wearing a Las Vegas Raiders jersey, the possibilities of where he could end up and where he could go. Could he go to New Orleans? Could he go to Atlanta? Could he go to Tennessee with the Titans? Could he end up in New York City? So I'm at the game last night, Tim, and our friend, our colleague there with Fox Sports Radio in Las Vegas, Chris Magnum Chapman, Everyone knows Mags is a Jets fan, and he's on Twitter bouncing around, and he's seeing all these reports of Derek Carr just being enamored with all things gangrene, Tim, all things New York Jets. And there are a couple of people, I don't know if they're experts or even just talking heads or commentators, talking seriously like, look, when you talk about the odds of places for Derek Carr to go, the New York Jets is right there at the top of the list. And Chris Magnum Chapman wasn't too happy about it. He was a little bit he was a little bit perturbed, Tim. He was a little bit worried because he doesn't and, and look, I'm not I don't want to speak for Mags, but I'll I'll just kind of paraphrase. I think Mags doesn't believe that Derek Carr is the answer with the New York Jets. I think I need to hear Tim Ugglesby's opinion on the situation and what the possible landing spots could be when it comes to Derek Carr and his quarterbacking prospects in the National Football League. We all have known Mags for a long, long time, and his really his uh, fandom of the Jets, got to love the guy. He's, he's a true hardcore fan, and he's had many, many disappointing seasons. I don't think that Derek Carr is any worse than what they are dealing with. Does it make them a better football team? Probably not, right? Do they win a game or two more? Maybe. Do they win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr? No, they're not. There's, it's not happening. So at this point, has it become a money grab for Derek Carr, right? His name is attached to the Jets. His name is attached to the Saints. His name is attached to the Panthers. Those seem to be the three teams in the running. And like you said, there's a strong lean towards New York. Well, why not, right? Why not go to the, take their money, play in a big market? Why not do that, Derek? Because it's all about Derek Carr at this point. This is his la- It's going to be his last contract, Chris. Might as well get what he can and, and go out that way. Does it make – that's the thing we talked about. Does it make a difference? It does not. Where he goes does not. And you know what, Chris? If Aaron Rodgers decides he wants to play for the Jets, Derek Carr won't be a Jet. That's, that's I think, what we're waiting on here, right, just to see where Mr. A-Rodge and his huge ego lands. So everything falls into place here for Derek Carr after Aaron Rodgers decides that he doesn't want to be a Jet. There's your new quarterback in New York. If he keeps him on the fence – I don't know what happens at that point. If I was Derek Carr, I think Carolina would be the destination for me. And 
but the window is small because does he have that time to watch him rebuild? Maybe New Orleans is a better option. They're they're a little further along the the chain and playing a week. Well, they both play in the same comp in the division, which is I have to consider a weaker one. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I think the problem is for Carr is we got to wait for that moron Aaron Rodgers to decide where he wants to play, Chris. It's interesting you do bring up the Panthers because I would concur. I think that would be absolutely something that would be ultra attractive for a guy like Derek Carr. Given that division, I mean, essentially you don't have a quarterback that you you would, you know, you have a ton of faith in in that entire division right now, right? I mean, it's just it's kind of wide open as far as 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 whether or not any of those teams you would pick to even win the division, much less as far as who the quarterback would be. So there's no doubt that that would be there. And, 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 and Tommy Barton chimes in, by the way, he says, look, Carr is the Jets plan B. They want Rodgers bad, but no, they have Carr as a fallback. Carr would be the best quarterback the Jets have had since Vinny Testaverde. That was a while ago, guys. <laughs> Vinny Testaverde <laughs> was a while ago. Is he a Super Bowl winning quarterback? No. Can he get them to the playoffs, even win a game? Yes, he thinks he can. So, I mean, he thinks it would be it'd be a decent fit to have Derek Carr there in New York. But I would con- I would have to concur with you, Tim. I think that it is it's got to be absolutely attractive to Derek Carr to think about the possibility of heading to Carolina with that team and uh, and and actually you know and play in that NFC South with uh, all those question marks across the board from Tampa to New Orleans and of course to Atlanta in that division where. You know, he, 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 he could absolutely make a monster difference, I think, if he's getting a chance to play there in Charlotte. I would think it's dollars and cents, number one. We always see that. Where is he going right. to get paid the most? Yeah, the Jets can offer that. The Jets can also offer, look, younger team, right? They have uh, Garrett Wilson. Brees Hall had a great was having a great season until he got injured. But you got, you got to play in the division with the Bills and the Dolphins and the Pats. You said it. Let's go to the South where you have – the Saints and the Falcons and the Bucks, <laughs> much much easier division to win. But I don't know, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it's it's all about the checkbook and and the publicity and and if that's what Carr wants to do, then you know, good luck to him. But we don't see anything until big money Rogers decides that he's going to stay in Green Bay for another season, Chris, and then we can worry about it. And call me crazy, right, Tim? And I know we're you know we're floating down to the bottom of the hour here. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, we haven't really heard anything definitively, right? As far as since he's come out of his darkness retreat, which was kind of <laughs> hilarious, to be quite honest with you. When I heard about the details of this whole thing, it was just textbook Aaron Rodgers, right? Kind of a freak show, kind of weird stuff, a.k.a. I'm the former Cal quarterback, you know, from the Bay Area. I'm going to do my different thing, you know, darkness retreat. As far as that goes, look, I'm not I'm not judging him or, or, you know, or criticizing him. I just thought it was just weird. But we necessarily haven't heard anything as far as Aaron Rodgers, as far as any decision or uh, any direction. Right, Tim, as far as where he could end up or what he is planning to do, whether it be retirement, whether it be return to Green Bay or other options that he may have. Well, all roads lead to Las Vegas, Chris. Could an option be? Aaron Rodgers here in Sin City. Oh, how fun would that be, my friend? Obviously, you get a reunited, you know, you get, uh, you know, a wide receiver quarterback reunited, and it feels so good, like Peaches and Herb. And you would <laughs> you'd absolutely get an influx of, of just excitement and energy surrounding this Raider team, and Raider Nation would go nuts. 
and it would be it would be like last year, right, Tim? It would be like last year, only probably on steroids, because you would have Aaron Rodgers instead of Derek Carr, you know, and so that's an obvious uh, upgrade at the position that would be uh, hugely instrumental as far as the Raiders are concerned. And then you've got the intrigue, of course, of playing in the AFC West, where you've got other teams that uh, and a team in the Kansas City Chiefs who are you know defending champs and are are sitting right there in that division and it would it would create you want you want to talk about creating rivalries instantly as far as quarterbacks in the league you're adding Aaron Rodgers to an already AFC West loaded with quarterbacks it would be uh all kinds of fun as all get out if that was something that would happen I I gotta be honest though Tim I I just I just don't see it happening uh but if it does it's going to be a seismic type event when it comes to the NFL. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, Mr. Wynn, and I have a big as an ego as I, as he does, we already know that. Yep. And whether he plays one year or two more years or whatever the case may be, if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I want to make a huge, huge mark on the NFL, I go to, I go to Mark Davis. I go to uh, Ziggs. I say, I want to play in Vegas. I think by far, you just mentioned a lot of the variables that would exist with him coming to Vegas. I think screw New York, screw Green Bay. It's Vegas or bust if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I go to a loaded team. The team is loaded, man. If they improve the defense here in the offseason, they're going to be a team to watch. And I don't like Aaron Rodgers. That's, That's very obvious. But you know what? I think what's best for business, to take an old wrestling adage, is that he signs in Sin City. Yeah, I don't like him either. But that's I don't like him because I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And of course, you know, our Steve Coast, Tommy Barton, he doesn't like him either. But if he comes to Vegas, do we, hey Tim, do we gotta get we gotta get Tommy a uh a, a, you know a uh, Aaron Rodgers Raiders jersey for his birthday? I'm sure Tommy <laughs> would love that, right? Because isn't I I swear I could have swore Aaron Rodgers is just is is a is a hugely favorite quarterback of Mr. Tommy Barton. I could I could be wrong though. I could be wrong. <laughs> that is the man, Chris Wynn, Tim Mugglesby, Ryan with you here on a Super Sunday night. Final timeout, final segment on the way. We'll stay in the NFL. The big question mark coming up on or before March seventh, two days away, deals with Lamar Jackson. We'll break that down for you here in just a few short minutes. It's Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Second and two on our own 24. What defensive set might we call? Eagle Zipper Hero, unless the setback shifts into the eye. Good. Third and seven. Okie Thunder Lion. That's your assignment. Kill the quarterback. Hit the tight end so hard his girlfriend dies. Kill everybody. This is Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. And Chris Wynn tonight here on Heat Wave Sports. Fox Sports Radio every Saturday and Sunday night, 10 o'clock. And we're going to close this show out with, of course, some more NFL, Chris, as we've been talking about the, the franchise tag. Josh Jacobs looks like he'll be the Raiders tag and spend at least next year as a Raider. But the big name, dating back all the way to previous of last season starting, it continued during the beginning of the season when, when Lamar went off on his MVP run and concluded, well, it's, it hasn't concluded yet, but it 
took a downward turn after the injury kept Lamar out the last few games in the playoffs of the season. So here's where we sit with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. There are two types of franchise tags, Chris. There's the exclusive tag, which means if they tag him exclusively, he can only negotiate with the Ravens for that contract. If they do that, the Ravens, based on the exclusive tag number, it's $45 million for quarterbacks. That's what they would have to pay Lamar next year to play as a Raven. If they non-exclusive tag Lamar Jackson, which means he can discuss with other teams a potential situation where they we could deal him to those teams or match that contract. It's only $32 million, Chris. So Eric DaCosta has two days to figure this out. If he, if he choose the non-exclusive route, they don't think that teams will. Here's the thing: Lamar wants fully guaranteed contract. He wants the he wants the Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray uh, treatment, which the Ravens have come out and said those were ridiculous, stupid, idiotic decisions by the Browns and the Cardinals. And I 100% agree. I don't think that that should be the route. Nobody's going to go guarantee that kind of money. So. What's what's it going to take here? Who's going to bend, right, Chris? Lamar represents himself. I believe his mom's on the negotiating team. So do they go the route of the $32 million, hoping that no team's going to give him that guaranteed money, and then they get him next year at least for $32 million, and then we can renegotiate at that point? Or do they just say, we don't want to take that chance, Chris. We'll give him the 45 exclusive tag, and we have a year to figure it out. Or... They just say, you know what, we're just going to trade him and see what we can get for him. Either or, that first decision needs to be made on March the 7th. Is it the fully 45 or is it the non-exclusive 32 and then figure out what to do afterwards? Yeah, it can it can be a tad bit confusing, right, for those of us on the outside looking in and seeing the situation. You broke down in, in, a, in a good way there, Tim as far as the options, right, when it comes to the Ravens here, whether it be non-exclusive or exclusive. And, uh, you know, you know, if they apply the exclusive tag, obviously they, they prevent anyone from talking to him or attempting to side him and, instead of getting, you know, and if they prefer to keep Lamar instead of getting a pair of first-round picks so they could still trade him, you know, for, for more than two first-round picks or if they are – willing to take that. And if another team is willing to give both, both the Ravens and Jackson each what they want. Now look in both cases, whether exclusive or inexclusive, the Ravens have to account right for the possibility that, that Jackson's won't get an acceptable long-term offer right? and that he'll play under the tag for this year and potentially next year. Right. And mm -hmm. that financial difference is going to be significant. So, but getting back to the whole view, right. As far as the feeling in the room, that is, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, Tim. I gotta say, this is th this whole thing to me. When we were talking about this during the playoffs, right, where it kind of came up and it raised its head, and people were, you know, after after Baltimore was out, and everybody wanted to know, you know, you know, how fan NFL fans are. They want to know immediately. Okay, what's going to happen, right? Are, are you, is he going to stay in Baltimore? Is he going to go to Atlanta? Is he going to go to you know Team A or Team B or whatever? And it was it was very puzzling to me because from a lot of the things that I was hearing, especially from Lamar Jackson's camp, it was that it was it was over, right? I mean, it was it, from from Lamar Jackson's standpoint, 
there was no way he was going to play for the Ravens ever again. You know, it was kind of that was kind of the feel that I got as far as, you know, as far as listening to talking heads and NFL so-called experts and even media there in Baltimore that would go on shows, especially even here in Las Vegas, right, would come on sports talk radio here in town and would talk definitively about what was going to happen. The sentiment was very high on the side of Lamar Jackson's never going to be a Raven again. And, you know, teams are going to have to either find a way to trade for him or, you know, or give up whatever they need to give up for him. And he was going to get paid whatever he deserved to get paid. But he was never going to put on that Ravens uniform again. And now it doesn't seem like that's as, you know, hardcore, Tim. Am I reading the room wrong there? Is It, it seems to me that it looks like there are more and more options and possibilities that Lamar Jackson might end up playing in Baltimore still, and that it doesn't look like a foregone conclusion that he's going to be sporting some other NFL jersey come the 2023-24 season in the NFL. Am I wrong on this? 100% correct. And maybe that's the, the fan in me. Maybe that's the Baltimore Raven hardcore fan that, that believes that. But I think you're right in the fact that when you look at the big picture in the NFL, what's the most important thing for a team to have? A franchise quarterback, right? Whether it's Absolutely. Mahomes. Yeah. Right? Mahomes, perfect example. Josh Allen. These are guys that are not a dime a dozen, to use that phrase. When you have a good one, you got to do everything you can to keep them because who are you replacing them with? That's That's the huge question of the day. If you let Lamar Jackson go, unless you're planning a complete rebuild, which the Ravens don't have to do because they've done a great job over the years in keeping themselves relevant by knowing when to let overpaid contracts go and drafting well, the thing that Newsom did well, that DaCosta continues to do well. What are you replacing Lamar Jackson with? It's not Huntley, even though he made the Pro Bowl, as Tommy says. It's not Huntley. So what is the answer? What's the backup plan? You don't have one really to replace Lamar Jackson. The guy's from two years removed, three years removed from an MVP, right? It's it's he should it's be amazing. one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, right? You're Absolutely. talking about a guy that is on the short list of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And what's ironic, Tim, about this whole situation is that what? And you're a Ravens fan, so you you are absolutely well aware of this. A decade ago, what happened? The Baltimore Ravens faced a tricky decision, right? whether or not to use a non-exclusive franchise tag and exclusive tag on another quarterback by the name of Joe Flacco, right? Who was on the brink of a deadline, you know, picking one or the other. So what happened? They signed him to a long-term deal, made him the highest paid player in the NFL at the time. So this time around, what do you have? you got the chances of getting, you know, a long-term deal done with <clears throat> Lamar Jackson. And again, the sentiment to me feels like it is remote that that's going to be the situation, that that's going to happen, especially, right, Tim, if Lamar Jackson continues to want a fully guaranteed contract. That's mm -hmm. the rub, I think, that the Baltimore Ravens face. Yeah. If you can find an idiotic franchise like Cleveland or Arizona to overpay and give you something that's just too hard to turn down in that situation, then you do what you have to do. At the end of the day, it's a business football business you have to run it that way but believe you not i've always felt that the ravens and lamar jackson would figure out some situation here and whether it's hey we're talking about this a year later chris and in, in one year from this time on heat wave sports we're talking about 
whether or not the Ravens are going to franchise tag Lamar Jackson again because nothing got done in the offseason, then so be it. I think at the end of the day, he's a Raven next year, whether it's for one year or they figure it out extension-wise. I think he's going to be paid handsomely. I don't think he's getting the fully guaranteed money he wants, and I think he's going to come to terms with that, but he's still going to be one of the top paid guys in the league because we know the difference in what a good starting quarterback brings to you. You can talk all you want about uh, his decision-making or him running or whatever. He presents problems for defenses, and had he been healthy, in parentheses healthy, Chris, for that playoff game against Cincinnati, they would have beat the Bengals. There's no doubt in my mind. They would have won that game. So they'll figure it out. They're going to tag him, whatever it is. They'll figure it out. He'll be a Raven next year, and we'll worry about long-term then. It's just funny how people are all – you hear all these rumors all across the league, and especially with social media nowadays, where it's just rampant of where he's going to play. I never felt he was going to play anywhere else. But, you know, color me stupid if it happens and he's he's wearing a Falcons uniform next year, then so be it. But I really feel they'll get it figured out because, you know what, like I said, the beginning of this this uh, segment was, who are you replacing him with? Who, who can you replace him with? Is there a backup plan in Baltimore if they decide that Lamar Jackson's not the answer? I don't think there is. Well, it's just a textbook case, right, of the, the grass is not always greener on the other side if you're the Baltimore Ravens, right, Tim Ogilvy? I mean, come yeah. on now, right? I mean, you, all the things you just said about, about Lamar Jackson as far as his, his prominence among NFL quarterbacks, I mean, it's just something that's hard to find. And trust me, I know all about that. I'm a Detroit Lions fan, my friend. And, yes, you know, we did like what we got out of Jared Goff last year, but I, there, a lot of people still believe that he's still a bridge quarterback there in Detroit and, and still want to look for the the next best guy, right, Tim? The, ne- the next guy that's going to fill that void and is going to be a – because you mentioned it at the top of the segment. The NFL is about getting a big-time franchise quarterback. You've seen it. You know, yes, is there the outlier Super Bowl where you get the Trent Dilfer's or, you know, the, the other quarterbacks who aren't superstars that win a Super Bowl? Yeah, I guess. Every once in a while you get one of those. But at the end of the day, usually – it's your Tom Brady's. It's your Ben Roethlisberger's. You know, it's it's your it's your Pat Mahomes. It's your all-time great quarterbacks that are leading these teams, and it's the team. It's the quarterbacks that are the premier guys, signal callers in the league that are contending for Super Bowl championships on a year-in and year-out basis. Let's just entertain the trade situation first. Let's just take a look at this. So. For Lamar Jackson, right, Chris? Minimum, two first-round picks. That's that's to even get on, get on the phone with me to talk about Lamar Jackson. I don't even want to start the conversation unless you're saying two first-round picks, and I'm not happy with that either. There's going to be more on the table if I'm Eric DaCosta. Well, I don't think there's any question that that's the baseline to begin with, but that's not going to be anywhere near enough to get a guy. You're also going to have to get a prominent player as far as a, you know, as far as a position player. And in, in, in my estimation and in my humble opinion, a key guy, that's a skill position player. And so I automatically, what do I think of? I think of the Raiders, right? I think mm-hmm. of the Raiders and you think of a guy like a Darren Waller, right? I'm not saying the Raiders should trade for Lamar Jackson, but I'm saying that it's going to take two first round picks and a guy like a Darren Waller, right? 
and even a couple other players that maybe are secondary players or even, you know, lower draft picks to get the deal done. Essentially, what I'm saying is this. It's not even close to just be just the first two picks and maybe a half decent player. Yeah, I, I think you got to get at least another player that's even, uh, you know, an impact type player in the deal as well, too. That's going to be enticing enough for the Baltimore Ravens to take a look at it. Right. Because it's not obviously about just the team that's trying to acquire him. It's about what Baltimore is going to be looking for, you know, in return. So to me, I think that's uh, integral to any type of deal getting done. And look, there's a number of scenarios out there in the NFL in which they could do that. Now, also, you're going to be taking a look at your division, right? As far as you're not going to be looking to help out the Pittsburgh Steelers, or the Cleveland Browns, or the Bengals, or any of these teams, you know, and even to some extent, the AFC, some of the teams in the AFC. So that also kind of puts a restriction, I think, on what these teams look to do as far as what they would deal for him and what the Baltimore Ravens would be willing to are we going to be willing to accept in a deal as well too. Well, the clock is ticking on the Ravens. We'll see what happens Tuesday. And then I'm sure we'll be able to talk about it in a couple of weeks time cuz once the waters settle a little bit kind of move forward with the rest of the NFL offseason as a draft just a little over a month away as well. Chris, I want to close tonight on a little baseball. Spring training camps are open. Exhibition games being played. We got the World Baseball Classic beginning Tuesday. That'll be fun to watch. You were out there out at uh, Las Vegas Ballpark checking out some major league action this past weekend. You and the guys. How was that, my man? It was a great atmosphere. It really is. Las Vegas Ballpark here in town does a great job with this. Uh, it was kind of funny, right? Jumping around social media, Tim and seeing the comments regarding the Oakland A's, right, and their attendance in 2022 as far as being on the lower end, let's put it that way, right, where you yeah. where you had average crowds of around 8,000 fans, and then you went to we, we went to two spring training games this weekend here in Las Vegas between the Cincinnati Reds mm-hmm. and the Oakland A's, not two of the premier teams in baseball, Tim. I don't need to tell you that. And there weren't a ton of big names by any stretch of the imagination, right? When you have, you know, Shea Langeliers is the guy that's on the front of the program for the Oakland A's. And honestly, Tim, I'm someone like you, like Tommy, who is wired in on all things Major League Baseball. I know the prospects. I know the teams. I am a baseball fanatic. And uh, I know we're on the back of the show because you can't really dive into the whole uh, putting a clock on everything aspect to Major League Baseball. We'll save that for another show. But as far as prospects and guys on the up and coming, right, I'm usually very familiar with them. i got to say, Tim, seeing these matchups between the Reds and the Oakland A's, there just wasn't a lot of guys with name recognition out there between those two teams. That being said, it was spring training-esque baseball right here in Vegas, and that was super cool to see. So the fans came out. And there was over 16,000 for the two games uh, combined attendance for both those games. And it, it was kind of funny seeing all the uh, responses around uh, around uh, the Twittersphere as far as, uh, you know, basically being the same average attendance as the A's last year. So we'll see what happens with respect to the Oakland A's and whether they do end up in Vegas. But uh, spring training is always a time to be positive, right, Tim? You're a Baltimore Orioles guy. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. It's everybody's still zero and zero. You want to look at the teams 
as to whether or not you want you want to be class half full guy, right? When it comes to your team, and there's a lot of intriguing prospects out there, right? From Basby, uh, you know, Basabi down in uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. You've got you know Jackson Holiday with your team there with the shortstop. The you know the Orioles have eight players that are MLB's pipeline top 100 prospects list, and Holiday is one of those guys. It's always great to see the Matthew Lugos, right, with the Red Sox and Jason Dominguez with the Yankees and, and you know, these these up-and-coming stars, Hunter Gaddis with the uh, with the Cleveland Guardians. And with my, you know, you got Mikhail Garcia with the Royals. And you got, you still got, you know, the guys who played in the majors last year who are trying to make their mark. You know, the the Torkelsons for my Detroit Tigers, right, the, the, the players – uh, obviously that we're able to kind of step in the major leagues and play. So spring training is about optimism, right? And so it's a chance to get to get out there and get a feel for the game as we roll into summer and, uh, and have high expectations for our franchise, regardless of where they're going to step onto the field opening day. Mr. Wynn, I, I did not get to attend the games with you this weekend and the guys, but I already know. More than likely, you sat in left field in that front section. Am I right? Oh, you know the deal, my friend. It's it's <laughs> it's not the green monster by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a cool setup. And that's the great thing about that that Las Vegas ballpark. There's other spots you can sit. Look, the media they take care of us. Uh, props to Jim Gemma out there. Does a tremendous job as far as uh, media relations there. And uh, the press box is really nice. It's cool, and uh, they feed us well, Tim. It's nice. Yeah. And but uh, as far as getting out there, right, you want. It's about uh, just experiencing the game, right? Get a chance to sit in different spots. They've got the outfield grass where you can just, you know, you can throw throw a blanket out there and kind of sit out there. And on Saturday when I was there, it was uh, it was a Norman Rockwell day, my friend. You know, it's been you know the weather's been kind of sketchy here, obviously, over the past week or so. And uh, today it was a little cloudy out there and pretty windy. But yesterday you couldn't have had a better day for baseball. You know, low uh, high fifties, low sixties, not much wind, sunshine out there. And it felt like a, uh, it felt nicer than, let me tell you something, my friend, felt nicer than a, uh, a game at Comerica Park in Detroit in early April. And it's still about 30 degrees and you have, you have a chance of snow flurries floating around there up in Detroit. So uh, it's a, uh, it was a pretty good experience. We had a lot of fun and, uh, and, and it's coming back again in two weeks as the Kansas City Royals and the, and the Colorado Rockies will be here for big league weekend number two in just a couple of weeks after these these college basketball tournaments are in town, Tim. Yeah, everybody listening, I, di- I didn't really go out on a limb there. I've sat up in that spot with these guys for many, many games over the years. But did please tell me that you and your friends were not on the mobile apps betting on exhibition baseball from Las Vegas Ballpark. Chris, please tell me that. Okay, so it's interesting about that because normally I am, right? Because we do have <laughs> our AAA team here. <laughs> with the uh, Las Vegas Aviators, and they do have lines for the Aviators, so you get the chance to do to wager, and uh, you know put a little coin on these teams out there. Unfortunately, we weren't though. I don't know what the reason was as far as the books, but they were not. At least on the apps that I have, there was no access to uh, bets on the A's or the Reds in those games. So that was a, a little a little disconcerting, my friend, not being able to throw a little coin on the games. But uh, you know, throughout the regular season in the Pacific Coast League, we're able to do that. So uh, that was one aspect uh, that we weren't able to take advantage of when we were out there for Big League Weekend this weekend. I love you guys, man. Chris, 
great having you on the show as always. I know you'll be back with us in two weeks' time when we're live and right into the, the March Madness with the first opening weekend of games. Let everybody know about where Mr. C. Wynn is, not only around town, but out there on that social media. No question, Tim. Always good to join you, Tommy, and the crew at Heatwave Sports on the weekends. Tremendous amount of intriguing topics across the board. You can find me at Christian Win on Facebook. You can find me at Christian Win also on Twitter, at CWin77 on Instagram. And you can find me now. I'm on the TikTok, Tim. I'm on the TikTok, oh. occasionally tossing up videos. And uh, you can see my face for radio out there all the time. And speaking of radio, all over the Vegas airwaves, of course, here on the great show that is Heatwave Sports. But I'm also on Sportex Radio here in town over in K-Don and also uh, floating around and getting a chance to jump on with uh, our friend uh, Brian Brian Feldman on Out of Line right here on Fox Sports Radio here in Las Vegas. So uh, And also spending some time over on Pushing the Limits as well, too, over on Brian Shapiro's show, too, as well. So uh, a lot of fun getting a chance to talk on the Vegas airwaves about all things sports at any given time. Chris, what is your TikTok handle? Uh, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at, I believe, I want to say Chris Wynn off the top of my head. I'm not looking at it right now, so I don't know. I, I want to say Chris Wynn. Yeah. Tell me you're not doing the, those dances and everything that everybody does. No, there's not. Tim, uh, Tim, I'm telling you, there's no <laughs> funky dances or any kind of uh, embarrassing situations. I just, I just, I will occasionally give my hot takes though. I definitely am going to and prepared to do that at any given moment. So that's Chris Wynn. I'll be seeing Chris out at the uh, tournaments this week, and you'll be hearing him again on this show in two weeks' time, March 18th, 19th, for not only St. Patrick's weekend, but first round analysis of the NCAA tournament. It's been a wonderful two hours. We appreciate you always listening in. I'm over at HW Sports on Twitter. For Chris Wynn, for Ryan, my wonderful producer, for Tom Barton, enjoying a much-deserved anniversary weekend with the wife we will talk to you again in two weeks time until then have a great sports two weeks it's heatwave sports only on fox sports radio las vegas 98.9 fm 1340 am have a good one